Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, it's great to be here at the uh, 10.07 service with y'all. Um, gotta get that, sorry. Uh, Stacy and I are just thrilled to be back with y'all. We love, love, love this church. Like, love it. We see so much potential here. This is just an incredible place that I, we think is just about ready to pop. Well, it's so good here. And if there is anything we can do when we're in the U.S. to help you, uh, we're willing to roll up our sleeves and, and throw down with you. We're both from Houston, it's home, um, and, and Galveston, sorry, Galveston, Houston. Uh, born on the island, that's real important, uh, BOI. Uh, but the offer's on the table. We just, uh, anything we can do for you. And we're praying and pulling for you. This is a, a special place. Um, we leave for the Middle East on Tuesday, so I have a lot to say, but uh, I promise we'll get you out of here in time to beat the Baptist to lunch, so it'll be, it'll be okay. Uh, if we're new to you or if you've forgotten, Stacy and I have been frontline missionaries for the past 20 years. Uh, for the past nine and a half years, we've worked in northern Iraq. Uh, we showed up right when ISIS took over everything, um, and we stayed, and it's become home. And as, our, as a mission partner, um, we are running your branch office in the Middle East, um, and we're kind of desperately serious about that. Uh, I bristle when people call what we do our ministry. Uh, it's God's work, and we're all one team. And so we're your people in the Middle East, and we're all one team in mission together. Um, so as your mission partner, your branch office, just a little uh, very quick branch office update, if that's okay? Okay. Um, over the last two years, our team in the Middle East has planted more than 1,200 churches and discipleship groups. Um, our network is actually bigger than the Anglican Church in North America. Um, all glory to God. God moves movements. Uh, these groups and churches are in Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria. Uh, in one Syrian refugee camp, we have more than 200 churches that have reached the 10th generation. So a church that's planted at a church, that's planted at a church, that's planted at a church. They've done all that in 10 months. That's the work of two Muslim refugees we baptized in our house 10 months ago. And that's what they've done with the Lord. Um, I think, as I mentioned last time, that we are living at the time of the biggest move of God in history. Did y'all know that? Yeah. The biggest move of God in history is happening right now. Fastest growing church in the world is Iran. Iran. Uh, we have 700 churches that we help oversee uh, in Iran. Just a few years ago, there were 75,000 mosques in Iran. Today, there are just 25,000. 
50,000 mosques have closed in the past couple of years due to lack of interest. Only 42% of Iranians now consider themselves Muslim. That number was 99% five years ago. And um, God is, is moving, and this move of God is now here in the U.S. It's coming to Europe, and it's absolutely here right now. We just need to know how to spot it and how to work with it. But it is here. It has come. So pray with us for this great harvest. Revival is here. We've been praying for it. It's here. But it's all hands on deck. There's only one missionary for every 450,000 Muslims. So Stacy and I have 900,000 Muslims on our hands, um, and we need your prayers. All right, public service announcement. We have propaganda on the back table. Uh, please take a prayer card. The most important thing you can do for yourselves and for God's mission in the world is pray. Right? Prayer strikes the winning blow. Ministry is just sweeping up the results. So those 1,200 churches are your prayer fruit that we are just sweeping up, okay? So pray for Jesus' kingdom to come in the nations. All right, that's the propaganda, the branch office report. Let's talk about the gospel today. Today's gospel um, addresses the questions, um, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing? And maybe we can tack on there and what do I get out of this? Uh, we can start by saying today, third Sunday of Advent, uh, is traditionally known as Gaudete Sunday. That's Gaudete is Latin for rejoice, okay? Here's the backstory you need to know. During Advent, we're called to um, uh, reflect on the, on, the, on the coming of Jesus, past and, and future. But here at this halfway mark, the church assumes we need um, a little break because we've been praying and fasting like real hard during this penitential season, right? And so the church is saying we need a break from the rigor of praying and fasting uh, and relax the disciplines a little bit. So I'm sure, you know, you've all been doing that. And today you just get to rejoice. The key word today is uh, joy. What are we rejoicing in? What are we rejoicing in? All right. Again, we're looking back and we're looking ahead. And the church and the Gospels want us to be crystal clear about who Jesus is. That's what's going on. That's why we always celebrate the Feast of Christ the King the Sunday before Advent starts. Okay? Um, we need crystal clarity on who Jesus is. Why does that matter? Because who Jesus is defines who you are. And who Jesus is defines your mission and your purpose in life, both as a church and us individually. So that's your money statement for today, okay? Who Jesus is defines who you are and what you're supposed to be doing in life. We have to get this right. And John the Baptist shows us what this looks like. Now, you don't have to go get your head chopped off. All right, um, we can avoid that probably, uh, but he, we, we get some great lessons here from John. The word gospel, friends, means, right, okay, good news. Jesus came to announce good news. He sent his disciples out to announce the gospel good news. What was the good news? 
was it? We see it this morning in the first reading from Isaiah, the prophecy fulfilled. We'll get to that. Let's look at it this way. In first century Palestine, when John and Jesus are moving around, um, what was the question that everybody was asking? They had one question on their mind. And nobody was asking the question, what's going to happen to me when I die? The famous American evangelical question, right? And nobody's asking that question today either. Um, but that was not the question, but they had a question. Are we together? Okay. The Jews at that time were living under brutal Roman occupation. They had awful King Herod. He was a half-Jew for a local king. But, 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 God had promised that one day he himself would come and liberate them. Not a new Moses. He wasn't going to raise somebody up. He was going to come himself. God was going to come and lead his people out of captivity in a new exodus across the water, think baptism, into new creation. At the time of Jesus, the Jews believed that God had abandoned the temple during the exile to Babylon six centuries earlier. Okay? They had come back, they had rebuilt the temple, but at no point did they have a sense that God had come back to live with them in it again like he had. If God was present with them, then why were the pagans ruling and oppressing them? We had together? Like, preaching's like trying to get a group of ducks across a highway. You just kind of got to make sure we're all together, kind of like moving that direction. All right. So here, the punchline is the great promise of God remained unfulfilled. And John the Baptist is saying that time is now. God is here. He's coming. That's why the people were flocking from the cities to go out to the countryside to hear the wild man preach. He was answering the question everybody had on their minds and lips. So God in Jesus is fulfilling the ancient hope of Israel for a king who would come and he would level every mountain and raise every valley and heal the world of all of its disease and brokenness. John is announcing the king has come. Rejoice. Rejoice, church. Rejoice. Our reading from Isaiah gives us this beautiful, hopeful picture of the future future. When Jesus returns and all is made whole, the, the new creation is complete and everything is under the lordship of Jesus, every square inch of it. But rejoice, this project has already begun. It's already started. The future reality of the kingdom comes into the present, not fully, but it's here and it's now. Rejoice, the king and his kingdom have come. Rejoice. Charles Spurgeon wrote, any preacher worth his salt, read Spurgeon, by the way. Um, the, this is so good, just follow me. The creation was made subject to vanity and it groaneth in pain together until now. He resolved that under a second Adam, something more than paradise should be restored to the universe. Let us rejoice even in the commencement of it. He has commenced to undo this mischief and to work this new creation. I love that line. God is undoing all the mischief. Don't you like that? That's a great line. So what does this mean for you? So what? What does it mean for Apostles Church? 
Jesus is the ultimate king, and you follow the ultimate king. There's no alternative, right? If he's the ultimate king, you follow him. King Jesus gives us our purpose. In following Jesus, our job, our purpose is to convince the world of who Jesus is and to join in his mission. That's our purpose. And we see this in John the Baptist. Simple question. This is not a trick question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Okay. If you say yes to that, that's great, good answer. Father Craig likes that. Where are you following him? Are we actually following Jesus, doing what he wants us to do? If you want to know why the church in the West is in decline, it's because largely we have lost sight of the goal. We've made church the goal. Church is not the goal. Now don't flip. Don't write the bishop. Don't get worked up, okay? I love church. Church is beautiful. It's the bride of Christ. It's amazing. I love this, right? It's necessary. It's fantastic. But it's not the goal. The good news it's not, is not go to church. Good news, go to church is not a great response to a prostitute or a broken person or a refugee. It's not good news. The goal, Jesus' goal. Now, here, what I said, church is great, beautiful, wonderful. I'm a happy Anglican priest. Don't flip, okay? But it's not the goal, right? Jesus' goal, if we're following him, is his kingdom. It's his lordship over all people, all places, all situations. Jesus' mission is to fix everything we broke in the fall. First, he fixes our broken relationship with the Father. Then he fixes our broken relationships with each other. And then he fixes all the, the brokenness and injustice out there. Friends, is there any brokenness in Houston, Texas? Any brokenness in the Heights? Right. That's where, yes, amen, right? That's where, that's where Jesus wants to be, be king. And so Jesus is king. His kingdom comes wherever he is obeyed. Jesus says, make disciples. He never said, make church members. If you can find that somewhere, I'll, I'll take you to lunch. I'll buy you're not going to find it. Why? Why make disciples? Because disciples bring the kingdom. That's the goal through their obedience and their risk-taking. Okay? God entrusts us with resources and gifts and talent and health and time for a purpose. He, he, he wants us to take what we, he has given us at risk to advance his kingdom. The Bible is full of stories of people taking risks. Abraham packed up and he left his homeland and David took on Goliath. That was kind of risky, right? And Mary said yes to being an unwed teenage mother. And Paul went to the Gentiles and took on Peter face to face. They all took risks. We see it throughout the Bible. C.S. Lewis said that the way you know you are living by faith is that what you are doing for God scares you. Are you doing anything for God that actually scares you? See, the kingdom of God is the goal. Only the kingdom can fix our country's problems and the world's 
problems. There is no political solution to the Middle East. There is no diplomatic solution to the Middle East. There is no military solution to the Middle East. God bless the military. We've tried all that. None of it worked. The kingdom is the solution. And the kingdom advances through the obedience and risk-taking of disciples. John knew who Jesus was, and this defined him and his purpose. And as a result, John became bold and courageous and fearless because he, he, he could look at Jesus and knew who he was, and then he could look at himself and knew he was. The way he looked at himself is in verse 27, I am unworthy. And then a few verses past where we stopped, he says, behold the Lamb of God the one who was promised long ago to us. So notice about John, his view of himself is soft, but his view of Jesus is bold. When it, when it comes to himself, John says, I'm unworthy, very matter of fact. But when he gets to Jesus, he's shouting, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, for John, for, for, for every one second that he looks at himself, he takes an hour to look at the king. And the result is this tremendous strength in him. And you see it in verse 20. It's emphatically said twice. He confessed freely, and then he did not fail to confess. John was a gutsy person. Nothing intimidated him. If you read the whole book, you'll know that John wasn't afraid to take risk. He went up right up to nasty King Herod, saying, Herod, you fox, you sleaze, you took away your brother's wife, and now you're living with her. Like right to his face. And he knew what would happen. He was totally fearless. Why? Because he knew who Jesus was, and this defined his mission. We together? Okay. And the good news for us is that all those who are found faithful, who, who know who Jesus is, and we, we center our life around him, taking risks, will be well rewarded. That's what we get out of this, okay? God is a rewarder. One reward is that God will expand you and trust you with more to risk for his kingdom. The more you risk, the more he gives you. God is just looking for faith, and God rejoices over you when you are faithful. Any vestry members here? Any vestry? Like, not in trouble. Just checking. Okay, you're fine. Like, we're okay. It's all right. Imagine Jesus sitting at your next vestry meeting, and he just imagine him sitting there, and he, he asked you, you know, I, I've given you all of this. You have a beautiful facility. You have a great location. You have a fantastic staff and team. You have great people here. You got a pretty darn good interim rector, all right? Like, not bad, right? All right? I've given all this to you. What are you willing to risk for my kingdom, for my name, for my purposes? I promise you that if you respond in faith, God will expand you. I absolutely guarantee it. God has bigger things in store for you, but you're going to have to risk to realize God's 
destiny for you. Okay? This is why I'm a missionary and not a rector. I say stuff like this. Okay? Okay. When I was um, a rector in New Orleans church, um, I inherited the worst church in the history of Christendom. Um, it was a 90% uh, African-American neighborhood in my church. I had 40 old ladies, median age 94. Like it was a whole church of ultra guilt. Like that's what I had to deal with, right? It was absolutely horrible. And um, Katrina rolled in right after I became rector, destroyed everything. And so Katrina hit in August of 2005. December 2005, we had in our church checking account, we, ha- we didn't have a collection for three years. We didn't have electricity for three years, okay, in New Orleans. Um, our check- church checking account had $15,000.13. $15,000 of it was money we raised to buy a van for our orphanage in Tanzania. So if I send that wire, right, we have 23 cents in the bank account for Christmas. It was gut check time. And, you know, our nice little orphans and friends in East Africa would have understood, you know, things change, life happens. But we, we just ripped it like a Band-Aid and sent the wire. And I had sitting there with 23 cents in the church checking account for everybody, for everything, okay? That next year, $1 million came into my discretionary account for Hurricane Katrina. The next year, another million dollars came into our checking account. Three years later, a million dollars comes into my church checking account. And um, the Harvard Kennedy School studied us for five years. They came in, and they concluded reluctantly that it was the church that saved New Orleans. And we ran, my little church, our total budget for the church pre-Katrina was $60,000 a year. That's what we had for the whole year, okay? We went on to run the second largest, longest-running relief operation for all of Hurricane Katrina. To live into that destiny, I had to sit there for a little bit with 23 cents in our church checking account. But we risked it on God, and the kingdom of God expanded incredibly incredibly. So God will expand us if we are faithful. That sound pretty good? And he'll do it. I promise you he will do it. And there's more. This is like one of those late-night infomercials. Like, there's more. I just gave you, like, a steak knife set, and I got wind chimes over here, too, for you, you know? In pursuing God's mission, we get to today's theme, is that if we pursue God's mission, he promises us joy, Joy is the payoff for faithfulness and obedience and risk-taking. We are professional church visitors, and uh, we watch you from a distance. We're outside in from the Middle East. And one thing we've noticed over the past couple years in the U.S. is people are experiencing a really significant joy deficit. This is a cranky country. Like, it's really, really been cranky for a while. And, you know, maybe you are too. In John 17, Jesus says he wants to give us, like, he wants to give us the fullness of joy. All right? That's such a big word. It's got its own word in Greek. 
like clergy you got to throw in Greek once in a while to act like we're smart. You're just going to get one today, okay? But the Greek word for that, there are words in Greek that you can't translate. You got to describe them. So that word for fullness of joy is pleroma in Greek. But this is the illustration to help you. The difference between um, plain old joy and, and fullness of joy is like the difference between having a, a cup of water and having a well. Jesus wants you to have a, like a waterfall, a well full of joy. That's what he's offering. That's what he's willing for you, right? And in order to give us that, that waterfall of joy, okay, Jesus wants to give that to us, but to give that to us, he has to do something else. He has to give us a mission. The fullness of joy, a waterfall of joy comes from having a mission. Jesus says, I have the fullness of life because I'm a man on a mission and I want my people to have this same waterfall of joy. So I'm gonna make them a people in mission. All right, so when Jesus wills your joy, which he does, he gives you a mission. Jesus made John full of joy. Remember, John kicks with delight in his mother's womb when Prager's Mary shows up. And John had joy in life because he had a mission. He knew what he was to do. What does it mean to have a mission? You're on mission, friends, when there is someone or something more important than your comfort and your happiness and having your needs met. You risk all those things for a higher cause. That's what mission is. And we bump right up into American culture because, again, watching you from afar, Americans have completely organized our world around comfort and convenience and having all our needs met. That's how the world sees us. That's what we've done. So we've made everything about being comfortable and convenient and safe and having our needs met, and then everybody's depressed. You see it? You see it? it? We have to take a risk. We have to have a cause greater than ourselves. It's what that's saying is that there is just something in life that's more important than my comfort and convenience and having my needs met. Friends, we were hardwired for something greater. You were made for this. You were built for this, right? That's why there's so much joylessness. You were made for joy. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. All right. Friends, we'll land the plane. The future of this church depends entirely on your ability to see and take risks for God and his kingdom. Your personal spiritual life, your ability to find joy will live or die based on your ability to see and take risks for God. Be clear in your mind who Jesus is and let who Jesus is define your life and define your purpose in life. If you do that, friends, you will always be able to find joy in every circumstance. And our Father will rejoice over you. And I promise you, 
the greatest witness I have ever seen in the U.S. is when God's people are out there kind of acting crazy. Like, we're supposed to be broken and depressed and unhappy right now, and we have joy. They notice it. They absolutely see it in us. It's what they're looking for. So things are rough out there. That's the perfect time to be out there filled with the joy of the Lord. They will see it. Our church in New Orleans tripled in size after Katrina because we were out there on the streets with joy. And I've had so many people come up and say, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be depressed. You lost everything. Like we lost everything. And we were joyful in that. And the world noticed. That's our witness. So apostles, here it is. Ready? Set? Risk. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.